Godzilla made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, alongside GBB Live, the 3ND Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, writing reviews, whatever you like to do on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and Nathan Chester is not with me today, though I do applaud him and Bryce Hayes for stepping up for me last week and running the show and doing a great job. But I have an exciting guest with us. I have my fellow GBB associate editor, the hustle connoisseur, Mr. Hustle, Brandon Abraham, aka Ballet on Wheels Dance. What's up, dude? Not much, man. Just living the dream. Uh, and now Googling how to change the Zoom name for myself as my wife used my computer last. Hey, it, it's all good. I told you I was going to poke fun at it, but. I understand you, she's got to hustle. You got to hustle. And sometimes you just have funny coincidences like this, but you know, Brandon, it's been a while since we've talked to just pure Grizzlies on this podcast. Usually whenever I have you on a podcast, we're talking about the Memphis hustle, but we're getting to mix it up for a change. It's, is it nice or is it more bittersweet? What, what are your thoughts right now, Brandon? Uh, it, it's definitely a mix. Um, yeah, you know, I've always liked the uniqueness of talking about the hustle since, you know, there's not many people out there who cover them um, compared to the Grizzlies where, you know, there's a lot of media members, a lot of people with Twitter fingers. Um, so, you know, it's a lot different, but it, it will be nice to solely focus on the Grizzlies, you know, especially heading into this final stretch run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I will ask you one hustle question before we start the show and Obviously, besides being in the Lander Center, because that is where you're in paradise. But what is just one thing you're most excited about, about being back and having a normal G League season next year? Hopefully, hopefully that's the case. Uh, Well, you know, again, fingers crossed that it's a normal G League season. But, you know, I'm excited, you know, if Jason March comes back to coach a third year to see what he does and what will really be his first full season as the head coach. Um. You know, two seasons ago was cut short because of COVID, and then they had the 15-game bubble, um, you know, with the roster set up, you know, was fairly nice, but it was just kind of hard for such a young team to adjust in Orlando. So, you know, I'm really interested and excited to see, you know, what Jason March can do with a full 50 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am too, and I know uh, that that first season that got cut off, they were on their way to a to a championship because of uh, John Conchar, Dusty Hanna's. Jared Udoff, Josh Jackson was helping, but he's already with the Grizzlies by then. Uda was up down there as well. 
And I really, I really hope that next season it's back to normal. You're back in South Haven. And now you also too find your, your new conch and your new dusty because they're not going to be with the hustle next year. So I'm rooting for you to find another hustle guy to shed light with everybody to build awareness. Because I mean, if it weren't for you, I don't know how many people would have known who dusty Hannah's or John Conchar were. So I'm really hoping that you find that player that you could just build a giant platform for and kind of just build your own Island of sorts. Oh yeah. I, I fully expect to um, have some new members of the Abraham all-stars uh, for mm-hmm. next season. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So we'll go ahead and get into Grizz stuff. I'll ask first, do you want me to get into the one that frustrates Grizzly fans the most or one, the one that kind of frustrates me the most? Uh, let's start off with what frustrates you the most and make, make our Everybody listen all the way through to hear what's going to frustrate them the most. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. So, and it's pretty rare that this season I've gotten frustrated. I, I understand the long-term view. And this really kind of the overarching theme of this episode is just how these latest rotation decisions are going to shape future team building for the Grizzlies. Not necessarily saying like, oh, does this player getting benched mean that they're going to get traded this offseason? Or anything like that. Because, I mean, I don't think that's the case. I just think it's more um, Coach Jenkins just trying to juggle and see what he's got, see who fits next to Jaron, who fits next to Justice, all that kind of stuff. Is that, is that what you kind of see with all this, Brandon? Like, are you reading into it much as in, like, oh, this player's not playing? That means he's going to get cra- traded in the offseason. Yeah, no, I mean, it's data accumulation. Um, you know, I'm probably leading a little bit into what you want to talk about here, but – you know, the recent of, you know, Brandon Clark, you know, being benched the last couple of games in favor of Xavier Tillman. I don't think that means Brandon Clark has moved from, you know, what many deem as an untouchable status to he's going to be traded the second he can. And I think it's more of, you know, Jenkins seeing X's fit next to Jaron off the bench. And, you know, also just, you know, in BC's case, you know, maybe letting him heal up a little bit. Um, I know he's had some nagging injuries, but no, I mean, I don't think anybody who, you know, ends up, you know, not playing on a certain night is destined to be traded. I just think, you know, it's Jenkins tinkering with some lineups and just kind of seeing, you know, who fits where. Right. Yeah. And I, I, it's obviously what I'm most frustrated with is Brandon Clark. And I know there's been kind of just a little bit of a turn on him uh, this season. Uh, his efficiency fell off. I mean, and it's kind of easy to predict going into the season. If you were to say, oh, his efficiency would fall off. Yeah, he shot 61% last year and about 35% from three. Not many rookies did that in NBA history, yet alone. I don't want to – I'm going to go ahead and use Nate's tag on in honor of him uh, this week. In, in NBA history, he put on like a really strong, efficient season – and it was one just kind of derailed with, with the injuries a little bit for him, which is not necessarily like, oh, like he like a Jaron injury or a Justice injury, but he was out for a long time. But just a bunch of different nagging injuries that kind of just prevented him from really catching a rhythm, catching a flow. I know he struggled to begin this season because he had missed training camp with a, I think it was a calf or groin soreness, and. And then uh, his recent run has been uh, bothered with some like hamstring soreness and glute soreness. He had told us that uh, last in last week's media availability. I want to say 
it was after the Portland game. He had told us that he, he's still kind of dealing with nagging injuries. And I think it's just kind of like a product of kind of the pandemic season. I mean, I'm, there's not a lot of time for recovery, not a lot of time for rest. I, I know people are going to point to the jump shot and the overhaul he did there. And granted, it wasn't, it doesn't look better than it did last year. It, it, it actually kind of looks worse, but he's also not getting that practice time to be able to refine a shot, being able to find a rhythm and kind of just like snap out of whatever slump that he was in. And I mean, it kind, it kind of sucks, but I mean, I'm with you. I think mostly they want to see what Jaron looks like next to Tillman and vice versa, because when it comes to building the next Grizzlies team, I think they're pretty set with those three, unless there's like some sort of can't miss prospect or at least in, in their draft range or like a, a big trade that lines up that's that brings in more of a four and a five. But down the road, they're going to have to judge, okay, do we want to start Jaron next to Xavier Tillman or do we want to start him next to Brandon Clark? And we've seen that because they're running a lot of Jaron at the five. And so I, I think like what you said, they're just trying to build data. And I, I'll go ahead and kind of flip it this way too. Uh, have you really been disappointed with Brandon Clark's season thus far? Like, what do you make out of it considering like the circumstances and just kind of the statistical regressions that we've seen from him? I mean, I think you kind of nailed it at the beginning. Like it, it's certainly a step back, but you know, Clark had one of the most efficient rookie seasons in honor of Nathan Chester in NBA history. Like he was bound to take a step back with Jaron out. He was, kind of forced into a starting role and really after he kind of got his feet wet played pretty well at the beginning of the year um, in the starting role and then it kind of just drifted towards the Grizzlies going small I think it fit the overall spacing a lot better um, to kind of move DB and Kyle down a position and have BC come off the bench with Tyus um, you know I mean the three-point shot's a little concerning um and I know we talked at some point over the off season or preseason about, you know, really wanting to see that three point shot, you know, expand for BC. And, you know, I, I don't really have a, a graph or anything pulled up in front of me, but I feel like he's just really been streaky this year. Like, I know he started off struggling and then he had a little stretch where he was, you know, it was, it was kind of one of those Sean Marion type, like it looks ugly as crap, but it's going in. So you live with mm -hmm. it. And then obviously over the, tail last few games it's just been not there but I mean really the biggest thing with him and his efficiency is he's getting a lot of the same looks he's getting a lot of those you know little floaters the little bunnies he gets they're just not falling um you know I'm, I'm sure part of that he probably doesn't have as much lift with the various lower body injuries he's had this season um but I'm really not too worried about it I, I think um he'll benefit greatly from you know, a few games off, um, and especially from a, you know, full off season to where, you know, he can kind of let the nagging injuries heal up, but then just work on his game. Um, so I, I'm not really worried about it. Um, it. It's definitely been a step back, but it's not as disappointing as someone, someone on Twitter might think. Um, and he's still, you know, shooting above 50% from the field. You know, he's, he's really, to me, impressed me as a pastor. Um, mm -hmm. Same you know, the, assist, the assist numbers aren't necessarily there, but when you watch the game, like there's a lot of, you know, assist opportunities that he kind of creates for others. 
Um, you know, so he's kind of improved there. Rebounding's been solid. Um, you know, it's just been it just hasn't been, you know, a ton of alley oop slams between him and Tyus this year compared to last year. And I think people kind of take that and say, Oh, well, he sucks now. Yeah. No, I really like that you mentioned the passing because that's something I've always been enticed with with this game because he has a high basketball IQ. He's one of the league leaders in turnover uh, turnover percentage, which is the amount of times uh, within a possession that he turns over the ball um, out of the overall possessions that he plays. And I, I do like how you brought up that point that he creates a lot of assists because I was looking back at different film last night because what I, what I always like to do the morning after each game is I go back into the box score, and if I see that somebody had like a pretty pretty good night assist night or good night scoring night, I look again and see how they got their points, how they got their assists, stuff like that. And I really looked at it with Grayson Allen because it was like, oh, like he had – it was because of your report card. I was like, oh, he had five assists. But I, I think there's also that difference in he was getting a lot of flow of the offense assists instead of like creating assists, which I think is like a big discrepancy between like uh, playmaking levels, I guess. Because just because like Grayson got just some from just like working the ball around and finding and making just that one more pass. Whereas like what you said, Brandon Clark's like at the middle of the floor or he's coming off a drive and he just finds an open shooter or finds an open person down low and literally creates opportunities for them. And I mean, I think he'll be fine. I think, I don't think the untouchable label that got people smarter than me have said it. I've had, I've had a, a source or two tell me that Brandon Clark is kind of an untouchable player. And then Keith Smith on, came on to our podcast talking about why he had had Brandon Clark untouchable in his big trade deadline primer. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll benefit a lot from playing with Jaron because I think one of the things that kind of, I guess, halted his efficiency and kind of just stalled out his offensive production is just trying to figure out where to put him in the offense because he's sharing a lot of time with Jonas and, and Xavier Tillman because they're more traditional fives. And those guys kind of operate the middle of the floor. Whereas if Clark doesn't have that three-point shot going, he's just he's just stuck in the corner. So I, I think well, a lot and, of this is trying to figure out where he is. I was gonna say, yeah, a lot of it's kind of what you know we've talked off off the podcast about is you know, Jenkins was playing both Clark and Tillman at the same time off the bench and using Tillman as their primary, you know, pick and roll big, which left Clark in a corner to, you know, pretty much do nothing because the three-point shot's not falling. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, just with the circumstances around the roster this year, it kind of has forced Jenkins to choose between one of the two to kind of give the backup center minutes to, um, especially with Jaron coming off the bench, um, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I, I agree with you that I still think he's kind of untouchable. Um, the only caveat, I guess, to that would be, you know, the next big name star that wants out of somewhere, um, you know, the emergence of Xavier Tillman and his ability to, you know, all the things he can do and how he looks like to be a key piece going forward or forward. Um, it, you know, it may make you ease up on, Brandon Clark being untouchable, but it's not as much of because of his play than it is because Xavier Tillman kind of makes it to where you have a, you know, three solid big men to have, you know, on your roster for the next six years if you want. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and there, if there's a star trade that's on the way that can 
legitimately give you a guy that's more of a 1A as opposed to, like to the Jaws 1B, like someone like a, a Bradley Beal or Zach Levine or something like that. I, I think you make that great point there, and I think that's really the case with just about everybody on this roster that's not named uh, John Moran or Jaron Jackson. And, I mean, I think with Xavier Tillman, I, I, I'm going to ask you this, and I don't want to discredit what he's done because he's been awesome as a rookie. Um, I really think that he has this really unique mold where he could be more of a 3 and D big, especially with his emergence off catch and shoot the reads in the corner and above the break. And he makes really good reads. And he's, he's just a guy that he's not going to hurt you. I know there's been a lot of times, and there's this joking phrase that I use a lot with a good friend, Anthony Sane, as we call it. When a player's out there doing nothing, we say that he's just out there doing cardio. And there's nights where like Xavier Tillman and it's like, okay, what is he, what is he really doing out there? But he's not harming you. But is there kind of a little bit of a shiny new toy thing with like when people are like, oh, Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark? So I think I think that conversation's been fairly dominant within Grizzlies Twitter over the past month. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I do think um, especially offensively, um, Clark, Clark kind of will do more. And when Clark does something, it's usually usually flashier you know to put back slam alley dunk or you know it's just something neat you know whereas Tillman usually it's you know kind of like a laying off a nice feed or it's that you know the floater that everyone on the Grizzlies is good at um yeah I really think the biggest thing with Tillman comes defensively and like Brandon Clark's a really good defender I think he is one of the more underrated guys on the team um but but I think you know Tillman being healthier not having the lower body injuries allows him to be more mobile mm-hmm. um and it kind of you know helps protect the paint you know helps helps the team kind of rotate on defense um compared to you know especially having jv out there and all that so i mean i think it's just kind of a little bit of shiny new toy healthy new toy and you know and just back to the point we talked about earlier um you know very at the beginning of the season we were talking about how you know, it's kind of similar to Anthony Melton where, like, okay, it'd be nice to see him as a starter, but, you know, his role is probably still always going to be best as, like, a super sub. Mm-hmm. And I think Brandon Clark's ideal role is going to be kind of that same high-efficiency big off the bench. And so I think it's a lot of, you know, getting Jaron and Xavier minutes together to see how that, you know, potential starting front court looks um, with, you know, I guess technically Jaron at the five, but I'd really have Xavier there. It's kind of a Kyle Gasol or Enzen Wright combination mm-hmm. like like we talked about months ago. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, regardless, I think they're in a great spot because if you could put either one of those two guys next to Jaron Jackson Jr., I think they kind of work off each other in a lot of ways. They Jaron allows both of them to be more comfortable working in the middle of the floor, but also, too, if you're going to have Jaron down in the low post in a spot where he can post up a smaller guy, you can filter out one of those guys out to the – three-point line and if the ball worked over their way you're somewhat comfortable with the shot I mean I know Tillman more than Clark but regardless I think they're in a good spot they they all provide this like defensive interchangeability where you know it could be matchup dependent one night Jaron could be guarding the other team's five and Tillman could be guarding the other team's four or Clark can do that or it's vice versa where Tillman's guarding a five and Jaron's guarding a four but they could all also step out defend in space switching the pick and roll. And I think that's going to be where the Grizzlies are at their best. And um, I want to pivot real quick to what's going to frustrate 
most of everyone the most, and that is the Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones. I'm not going to call it drama. We'll call it situation because it all kind of stemmed when after in the second half of the Denver game, Coach Jenkins had Justice Winslow running backup point minutes and left Tyus Jones off the bench and even in favor of your boy, John Conchar. And uh, the results, they, they didn't really fare well, and the reviews didn't really fare well uh, from a, a media perspective or a fan p- perspective. I, I think one thing that kind of gets sh- like kind of clouded in that is with that philosophy and rotation they're running, they beat Portland twice in Portland. I mean, the, the losses they took, the only bad one was the, the Clippers. I mean, that, that was just Luke Kennard and Marcus Morris just hitting absolutely everything. The Denver game was a scheduled loss. I don't know why people have called that a bad loss. I mean, we knew that was going to happen. And then Portland, just a veteran team that just wanted to beat the crap out of them. But – and now they're, they're back with Tyus Jones. And last night we saw Justice Winslow get his very first BNPCD of the season. And, Brandon, I want to hear your thoughts on this whole – situation right now are they making the right call here did they make the right call when they put justice winslow in place to Tyus jones it's definitely tricky um and you know it's definitely gonna be something that's debated um a lot probably this offseason depending on how the play-in tournament goes um I, i do think um, last night's game against the Knicks was probably the right time. Um, if it wasn't last night, it would be tomorrow night against the Timberwolves of the time where you have to make that decision of, okay, like we're trying to get, you know, this data accumulation with Justice Winslow and how he fits and how he plays and just getting him some run because he's still played 24 games, like, you know, in the past two years, basically. So I understand giving him some run. Um, but I do think the timing's right to kind of pivot back to Tyus for the final uh, final nine games, if you want to include last night. Um, because, you know, part of BC's struggles probably came from Tyus not playing. Um, D'Anthony Melton's kind of cooled off a little bit. He should hopefully kind of, you know, get back into a rhythm with Tyus playing. So I, I think the move to go back to Tyus is the right one. But I also – like think it's a little lame the uh, blame Justice Winslow gets for um, the Grizzlies not playing so well over the past eight games or so because like at the end of the day we're talking about a guy who played 16 games with a couple of back-to-backs he missed in there and then um, after those 16 games he missed another roughly you know 10-11 games um, to two and a half weeks with an injury and then comes back and plays another eight. So he, he hadn't really had much of a chance to get into a rhythm, you know, mm. so I'm not really surprised he's been rusty. I'm not really surprised he hasn't looked great. Um, I guess my biggest quip with it, I mean, I see both sides is on one hand, Justice's best, best minutes in Miami came when he played point guard. So you put him in the backup point guard position, kind of let him be comfortable, try to get him going. Um, it didn't work. But on the other hand, like we didn't trade for Justice Winslow for him to be a backup point guard. Uh, you know, he's talked about in the same stratosphere as Ja and Jaron. So 
you know, I get the rotation decisions are tough right now with all the great guard and wing play. Um, but, you know, that that's a little bit of the, I guess, concern there would have was, you know, we didn't bring Winslow in to be the backup point guard. And that's what he was predominantly doing over the last eight games before uh, Monday against the Knicks. So it's a, you know, tricky decision. Um, obviously, if Winslow would worked out, it'd be a hell of a lot different conversation right now. But, you know, I think, you know, I think we're all we're in the same boat of give him a healthy off season to kind of just rest up, you know, and actually have an off season instead of rehabbing and then, you know, see what he brings to the table next season. Yeah, for sure. And uh, honestly, I, I'm not really going to uh, discuss the team option. I'm sure that's going to probably turn into like a first take esque episode of the core four between me and Nate, who are on two very opposite ends of the spectrum with that. But uh, one thing you had mentioned too, is just how he's best with the ball in his hands. But I know uh, Connor Dunning in 92.9 had pointed out to me and you that uh, the Gri- Justice Winslow was actually better, and so was so were the Grizzlies when he was on the floor with John Morant, uh, per cleaning the glass in 420 possessions together. They had a uh, point or not point. They had a six point uh, differential per hundred possessions, so they had a net rating of uh, six. And that, that typically means like, oh, hey, most of the time you're beating a team pretty good when you had those two guys out on the floor. So maybe it could have been one of those things. He just needed more time with Ja. But, I mean, there's no denying what he does compared to Tyus Jones or what Tyus Jones does really compared to Justice Winslow. He keeps the ball moving, keeps the offense in good pace, and he just really enhances everyone else on his team. I mean, you mentioned Melton's struggles, but, I mean, Desmond Bain was in a – a little bit of a shooting slump before uh, last night's outbreak against the New York Knicks. I mean, against the two games against Orlando, he was one and three, one and seven. He was three and nine from the field against Portland, and that was when he was mainly sharing the minutes with um, Justice Winslow at that backup point guard spot. So it, it could be kind of one of those things where, granted. I mean, Tyus Jones, he hasn't really lit the world on fire. He His three-point shooting is down from last season. He shot 38% last year from three. Now he's down to about 32. Uh, his assist numbers are down. I mean, he, I mean, it's not the same Tyus Jones from last year, but he's still a pretty damn good backup point guard to have at your disposal because he enhances the guys, of his, uh, uh, the guys that he's with. He's made that bench unit awesome for the past two seasons now. Like what you said, he – Enhanced Brandon Clark, he enhanced Anthony Milton. He does it with Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman because he just keeps the ball moving. He keeps good pace, and he really kind of is a good change of pace point guard to have when you have John Morant, who's become more of like a methodical, uh, slower, let me grind you out in the half court kind of point guard who could occasionally just turn on the brakes and just light you up in a transition. But I wanted, I wanted to bring this up specifically, not just for the, uh, oh, who are you choosing between Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow? It's more of the team-building concept, principle of it in this decision, is what they did is they put in a guy that's a, more of a big wing that can play next to John Morant but handle the ball when he's off the floor. And as you know, you get to these playoff minutes, and John Morant's going to play – 
38, 39 minutes a night when it comes down to playoff time. Are you really going to shell out those eight minutes for a traditional point guard? Or are you going to try to build this next great Grizzlies team having a big wing that can take on those responsibilities when John Morant's not in, but also share the floor with him in those moments too? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, I'm kind of in the boat of you've got eight games remaining um, in 11 nights, um, and they're all going to be big, important games. Um, as much data as you want to accumulate, um, and, you know, it's like the thing I've, you know, we've talked offline, you know, two weeks ago, the data accumulation was an easy, you know, this is what they're doing. It's what they've said they're going to do all along. But with eight games left and in the in the heat of the playoff run, I, I kind of lean towards playing Tyus just because he elevates the ceiling of those around him. Um, everyone, you know, like we everyone we've talked about on that bench unit is more familiar with Tyus, and there's just a comfort level there. Um, so I, I definitely kind of lean towards, you know, sticking with the decision and rolling with Tyus. Um, I, I think the overall Grizzly ceiling is higher with Winslow, but you kind of know what you're getting with Tyus. And I think kind of in a bench perspective, you know, you kind of like having that comfort that, um, that knowing of what you're going to get off the bench is going to be, you know, low turnovers, efficient play from that group compared to, you know, maybe Winslow has a big game, maybe he struggles. So I, I think they'll lean towards having the, um, you know, comfort they know they know they have in Tyus since they, you know, even though his shot's not falling this year, um, they, they kind of know what he brings to the table, whereas Winslow is still this kind of wild X factor that, you know, is still trying to get into a rhythm. No, yeah, no, I understand. And I really think a big a big part of it, too, is just more about, I guess, long-term. And that, I mean, because we know, I think by the end of next season, I don't think they'll have Tyus Jones after them because this is what happens with backup point guards. They get priced out by other teams that need backup point guards. And, you, you know, when you have Jaron's extension coming up and you have Jaws' extension coming out, like how much money you're going to be shelling towards a legit backup point guard granted it's beneficial but again there are teams that kind of price you out in that regard and then we, we don't even know what's going to go be up with Winslow I mean he may end up sticking around if he can turn it around health health wise and production wise but there, there's also a chance that they just opt out of the team option so I mean they could they can kind of have like choose their own destiny here as far as like what kind of archetype of player do they want to have on the next iteration of contending Grizzlies teams. I mean, I, I look at teams all over all over the league. I mean, Utah, they kind of really have, like, Joe Ingles run that second unit as this big wing that can also play next to Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. And that that's kind of like a kind of a mold that you would kind of look for. I mean, same with the Golden State Warriors when they ran in with Iggy Doll and Livingston. Granted, different situation. They have all-time greats. But you see kind of like the mold and archetype because those guys can play next to their their main guys. And I find it interesting. I mean, it could also be one of those things where you have like a McCollum Dame kind of thing where when the if the Grizzlies ever make that trade and they go get like a two guard, like a Beal or a Levine or somebody in that mold, 
you could just have games where you're not going to have a single minute without both of them on on the floor. You're going to have one or the other in at all times, if not both. So, like, it'll really just kind of cut out the need for a real backup point guard. Granted, they can kind of have, like, the emergency glass one, but I also think at the end of the day, if your star point guard goes down, you're screwed. For If he goes out for a long period of time, you're, you're screwed. So that, that's kind of where I sit on it. It's going to be very interesting to see where they go, but I, I lean towards more getting a guy that can play the backup point guard role, quote-unquote, but it's more of a big wing that can play next to John Moran in clutch time situations and in playoff moments. So before I have any pitch force and stuff come at me, this isn't me saying they should have stuck with Winslow over Tyus. That is just the long-term building archetype that I would rather strive for instead. Well, and, and to the point you're kind of making here, um, you know, they, you know, at least for a game seem to have pivoted and made their decision, but, you know, barring a ton of changes, like if this roster looks mostly the same next year, um, you know, sub out Tim Frazier for a draft pick and maybe, you know, John Tay Porter to sign Killian Tilly to a roster spot you know other than in the bench pieces you know if, if this roster remains mostly the same and they try the justice winslow experiment again next year you know how long does he get you know before everyone's ready to burn you know burn everything down because he mm-hmm. you know got 24 this year and like i said he had 16 in the first stretch of games where it really was just kind of okay, whatever, then he was out for a few weeks, and then it's been the past eight games, people have been losing their minds. So, I mean, is Winslow going to get 12 to 15 games before people start losing it? Um, So so that's going to be the interesting piece to see what the front office does with this roster heading into next season. Um, You know, if they move Tyus to a team that has been in desperate need of a true point guard like the Clippers, who, you know, could probably even – start Tyus and then just you know you know he could probably start there there's a couple other teams that have clearly needed you know better point guard play whether it's starting or backup um that may value Tyus and we could get a pick for him um but you know I I do think I mean I, I think they'll pick up the team option there's you know less than a handful of guys that you know with the money you're saving are worth potentially going after and you know it, they may not have been necessarily fit the timeline and a couple of them restricted free agents. So it's kind of, you know, you don't really, even though we didn't give up much for Winslow, contrary to belief of some, we did not give up much. Um, you know, you don't really give up on this after 24 games. Um, you know, so I, you know, you got to definitely see what you got in them next year, figure out the best way to use him. Um, and hopefully it works next year, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, you know, you could trade him at the deadline as, you know, salary matching piece or just let him walk in free agency. Um, you know, they'll have a ton of money, not this coming off season, but then the next off season. And, you know, it's really kind of still a low risk, high reward play with Winslow. Absolutely. And just to continue the, a lot of honors that we've really given out on this podcast, you, you mentioned that they didn't give up much for Winslow and I have never seen a, to quote Joe Molinax, our faithful leader and our site manager, I have never seen a guy that shot sub 40% from the field and sub 30% from three 
with a negative on-off rating. They were, they were worse with him on the floor when they, than when he was off. Be so glorified than Jay Crowder. It's really comical. It, it kind of cracks me up, to be honest. Even though I liked Jay Crowder, he was, he was a pretty good guy to have in the locker room. But I just thought it's all comical. But, you know, that's for another day. We're about all out of time here. Brandon, give your final remarks and let the people know where they can find you. Uh, well, just my two cents on the Jay Crowder thing, um, just because it's been a topic of the Grizzlies needing a savvy vet, um, you know, with Derrick Rose showing out in Memphis last night. Um, everyone likes to point to Jay Crowder. I really think Solomon Hill fits that role better because he doesn't, you know, take over the offense and chunk up a ton of shots. Um, so that's my two cents. Um, you can find me on Twitter at BC Abraham. Uh, Follow the blog at SBN Grizzlies. Um, check out all the stuff, you know, at grizzlybearblues.com and all the core four podcast episodes. Uh, heading down to a super intense final eight games and 11 nights before a play in tournament. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Brandon, thank you for coming on the show. And just my message to Grizz Nation just bear with it, bear with it all. It, there's brighter days ahead. So just don't get too soaked up in what's happening now. And don't forget about the brighter days that are ahead. This is a young team, the youngest in the league, and they're, they're in this position. There's a lot of teams and franchises that would kill to be in this, in this position. So you can follow me on Twitter, Pac underscore Flocka. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the core four podcast with the number four, not the word for. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, writing reviews for all of our podcasts. On the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, GBB Live, Core 4 Podcast, 3 and D, and the Starting 5 Podcast. With that, that's all, folks.